we asked ourselves, what's still hard to do as developers? And you still find that access control is one of those things that doesn't make your beer taste any better, right? You need it. <laughs> it's like cost of doing business. You have to have it if you have a business application, but it's not like it's differentiating in any way. And so it's just like toil that if you could actually build a set of tools for developers, you could save them a lot of the hassle of building it and you could actually help them build it correctly. Producer Adam here. Connor, what is your favorite thing about in-person interviews? The energy that you get at a live event is second to none. And I love the input you get from community members. Sure, remote interviews do work great, but they miss some of that spontaneity that you can get in person. I know exactly what you mean, which is why there's something that I think we should tell our audience about. We do have some exciting news. Dev Interrupted is going on the road to lead Dev New York March 14th and 15th. We're bringing back the Dev Interrupted Dome to do a series of live interviews with key leaders while we're in New York City. Best of all, we'll be doing a live streamed episode of the podcast with special guest Nick Cobb, who's head of product and engineering at Kite at 8 a.m. Eastern on March 15th. Dan Lyons will be joining me as we interview Nick about the AI behind self-driving cars, on-demand vehicle platforms, and why Uber controversy has lost its product innovation DNA. So mark your calendars for March 15th from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern. You're not going to want to miss this. Register for the live stream today, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And if you're in New York and you want to come say hi to the Dev Interrupted team, we'd love to meet you. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Dan Lines, and today we're joined by Amri Gazit, co-founder and CEO at Acerto. Amri, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, awesome to have you. Now, you have like a really cool background. I checked out your background a bit. You've worked at a lot of big name companies, a few of them like Microsoft, HP, Puppet, which is a really cool company. I guess you had a front row seat there with their transition to the cloud. You have great insight into like what works and what doesn't work. I think you founded maybe a few companies, definitely Asserto, which is an authorization company that we're going to get into and talk about today. But before we go into all of that and things around authorization, your experience as a founder, we want to make sure that we get to know you a little bit better. So could you start by telling us how did you get into engineering and like, how did you get to become a founder from engineer to founder? Well, uh, it's kind of hard to believe, but I've been doing this for now over three decades. I started out, I was a computer science major in college, and uh, that's what I thought I'd do for the rest of my life because I love writing code. Right out of college, I met a guy who was just about to start a company, and I became what's known today as a founding engineer of a startup. Uh, That was my first one, Neon Systems, and it went public uh, seven years later. So I call that my rose-colored tour through startup land. They're not all the. They're not all like that, right? No, <laughs> I didn't know that. Not. that but um, I got to Microsoft, and again, got super lucky in terms of the timing. Joined right when we were about to start a new platform, so I was one of the co-founders of the .NET project there, and then uh, ended up uh, also helping start Azure, including some of the Azure services that had to do with enterprise, like Azure Access Control Service and Azure Service Bus. And of course, the access control service kind of connects a lot to authorization. I left Microsoft uh, about 10 years ago to start another company and uh, ended up building software in open source. 
So OpenStack and Cloud Foundry and Docker and Kubernetes and most recently Puppet. So, you know, Assertive was really my third startup. So it's been kind of a long journey uh, to get here. But, you know, being this my third startup, you know, there's some things that you kind of learn from the first two, hopefully. Uh, yeah. So it gets a little easier. Yeah. And the first two, so you said like, were they both successful or like what was like the range of success for the first two? Uh, the first one was, you know, like it's not a Google, but it went public and later on got sold. So that was, uh, I would say, definitely successful by most measures. The yeah. second one I ran into the ground. So, you know, kind of that's the opposite. And I'll say the third one hopefully is the charm. Yeah, what's so funny uh, about that, and I have a few founder questions on my mind, but it, I talk to a lot of founders and like you can have a success and then you can have what would be a, probably from an outside perspective considered a failure. Then you can have a su success again. A lot of it has to do with like timing and people and what you cho choose to do. And uh, would love to hear from you, especially coming from an engineering background. Like I love to see people who start out in computer science uh, become founders. What was it like for you, if you can think back to the first time where you were a founder, was there any gaps that you had because you were an engineer? Is there any like advantages that you had because you were an engineer? Yeah, for sure. I think that First of all, like all of us are kind of naive going in. We have uh, we have to be optimists as founders. You kind of almost have to believe uh, something that you know anybody who like really kind of leads with the logic would not believe because going from zero to one is uh, is a very improbable event. And you know, without having some core belief that you could actually get it done, it's it's hard to get there. And I think a lot of founders early in their careers just don't have the fear. They basically, they come in without knowing, you know, what it's like to fail. And so I think that is actually an advantage. The more experienced you are, the more you've seen patterns and you, the more you can kind of apply some of the wisdom that you've learned in other situations. Uh, it's also the case though, that maybe you become uh, a little bit more like realistic about things. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that takes away from the magic. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to describe it. I couldn't like agree more. And this past year with the economic climate, e even when we're doing this pod right now, it's kind of like tough times on the economy. And you can see some of these like very well-known companies, like 20% layoffs, that type of thing. Is there any advice that you have? Actually, you know, I guess the other founders of how you're kind of navigating this current climate? Yeah, I think, first of all, you have to kind of, you have to first keep in mind why you're doing it. Why did you start a company? What are you in this for? And I think some people start a company and then realize how much hard work it is. And they may not have ever had their heart in it. And so tough times, there's nothing like tough times to really kind of make yourself ask, why is it that I'm still doing it? And I think having a good answer to the why is really important. I think it's also important to keep a sense of perspective. So, you know, you don't really want to get affected by either the highs or the lows too much, right? So it's great to celebrate successes, but kind of remembering that it's a marathon and every day is going to bring you something different. And so you've got to kind of even things out. The other, other thing I'd say is that you really want to give it everything you have as a founder, but know that there's only so much that you can control. So, you know, with a downturn, it's, that's not under your control. If you have a market that's uh, too early, that's not under your control. Like you basically 
have to remember that there's some things that you have to be able to ride out and just focus on the things that you can control. Yeah. I love that answer. Actually, our like my co-founding partner, Ori, and our who's also our CEO, we have like town halls every month with the whole company. Actually, that was his exact message. So I'll just reiterate it. It's like, hey, there's a lot of external things that are going on that are out of our control. And yeah, you got to take them with stride, but let's control the things that we are in control of. And that's, you know, if you kind of put your focus in that area, typically good things uh, come out of it. But yeah, Omri, thanks for sharing some of that experience for some of our like aspiring founders to be. I want to move us into our first topic today, which is around authorization. So yeah, I think, uh, why don't you break it down for us? Just like the basics. What let's start with what is authorization? Yeah. So a lot of people kind of think of just something called auth, right? And auth is kind of like identity and access control. But for us, we basically split it into two phases, authentication, which is proving that you are who you say you are. And in, back in the old days of operating systems, that used to be like you log in with a user ID and a password, right? Yep. And these days, and that's kind of old school. The new school is like uh, magic links and biometrics and two-factor and all that stuff. But the process is basically the same. It's proving that you are who you say you are. And then authorization is downstream from that. Now that we know that you are Dan and you can prove to us that you're Dan, what can you do in the context of the software that you're logging into? You know, what resources, what permissions do you have on those resources and things like that? Yeah, we haven't even dove in, but that's where I, I feel like, well, on just kind of the off, like the identity side, it seems like there's been like a lot of progress there. It's a combination of security and ease of use for the consumer. Like I want to get logged in super fast. I need security, all of that. The authorization side of like, what am I allowed to do? That is where I feel like things get really complicated. I don't know exactly where we're going to go here, but I can even think for like our own product, you have APIs and you have different types of people and then you have people logging in and then you have like enterprise constraints and you have like non-enterprise. It's like, it gets wild, I think, to manage. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about like, again, going back 15 years, back in the age of business applications before SaaS was popular. You just have business apps that would talk to the OS to figure out like, you know, who the user is and what they could do, right? And the what they could do part was uh, basically groups that were in products like LDAP or Active Directory. You had a directory that basically stored those things. And then groups corresponded to roles in that business application. And so life was pretty easy because if you're an IT admin, you basically create a set of groups and then you map users to those groups and that's how you do uh, what was called role-based access control. Yep. And as you said, identity moves to the cloud, right? Like you, we have a set of protocols like OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect and SAML and all those things, uh, JWT, that came out and gave way to what we call the interoperable identity fabric. You know, so you have on the one side companies like Okta that didn't exist 15 years ago that basically said, hey, let's go do single sign-on for enterprises and, you know, all these SaaS applications now you can sign into without having to have separate user ID and passwords for each one of those. And likewise, you know, companies like Auth0 said, hey, let's make it really easy for SaaS developers to go incorporate that into their applications. So no one has to go build login if they don't want to. And so that kind of created a pretty large, you know, industry and a lot of meaningful companies there. 
But like you said, access control or authorization hasn't really moved forward at all in the last 15 years. So every application has to go build its own roles and permissions and, you know, like basically enforcement logic that says, hey, if Dan is an admin on this particular kind of group or like application or whatever now that your your application has, then, you know, allow him to do this. Otherwise, don't. So all of that has not moved forward at all. And I assume that is that kind of the founding story of Asserto or how, how did that? I think you kind of described the problem set there, but how did that all come to be? Exactly. So kind of if you go back 15 years, my co-founder and I were uh, working on what became Azure Active Directory, and we helped solve the identity problem, not just us, obviously, but a lot of other companies came in there. And now, you know, that problem is pretty much solved. But we actually started with access control with a service called the Azure Access Control Service. We kind of realized no one's ever really solved this part. And it's a hard problem to solve. It's much more domain specific for each. So each application looks a little bit different. And we could easily go spend the next 10 years building solutions in the space. And, you know, we think that it's going to be just as big of a market as uh, cloud identity. So that's really kind of where we wanted to go in. And we asked ourselves, what's still hard to do as developers? And you still find that access control is one of those things that doesn't make your beer taste any better, right? You need it. <laughs> it's like cost of doing business. You have to have it if you have a business application, but it's not like it's differentiating in any way. And so it's just like toil that if you could actually build a set of tools for developers, you could save them a lot of the hassle of building it and you could actually help them build it correctly. You know, and the other, I would say the other main motivation there was just looking around and seeing how broken access control is such a big problem in the industry. If you look at the OWASP top 10 list of security issues and applications, uh, broken access control is number one. So there's just so much pain to go around. Uh, it's not just for developers, it's for security teams, it's for IT teams. We felt like there was a lot of pain to go around. So this is a great space to really invest in. Yeah, you've brought up a lot of uh, interesting points there. I think you used the word toil, which is kind of like a hot topic world in dev acts, dev experience, platform engineering, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, agree with you with the access control stuff. It's not necessarily, let's say, like the most sexy thing that you could be, I don't know, doing as a developer. But I'll give you my experience on it and then see what you think. So from a business perspective, like if you're listening to this call and you're like a VP of engineering, director of engineering, manager, or whatever, the business will come to you and start saying, okay, we we're, we're have these like really large deals. Usually they're like enterprise deals. This is my, my right. experience. And, and this is like if you're in like a growing hot startup, right? They need much more access control than we have today. We need to like build this thing in the right way. How quickly can you get it done? That's like, like what the business will say. So we can make like larger and larger sales. Then you have the security side that you're talking about of, okay, like this is starting to become a problem for us. I want to make sure that we have everything buttoned up. And then on the engineering side, what I usually hear is it's, okay, we got to do this, but it's, it's that toil. It's complicated. It's taking a lot of time. It's like taking longer than we thought. We have technical debt in this area. This really sucks maintaining <laughs> that type of thing. So those are like, I don't know, th three different ways that I would describe the problem. 
Like, how are you attacking it? Or like, how do I even like think about implementing this in the right way for for my uh, engineering organization? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So everything that you said, we see as well. So typically, the access control surface area of an application kind of grows like by accretion and it becomes really unwieldy. The biggest change for developers, like in that respect, kind of moving from monoliths to microservices, is that every microservice kind of has to go think about authorization for itself. And if you believe in kind of like this notion that small teams own, you know, like each microservice, then of course there's like these incentives for them to go solve it themselves. And it's just very idiosyncratic. And you end up with just a hot mess, right? So you have a bunch of permissions strewn across different places and spaghetti logic and adding permissions, changing permissions, adding roles is just, it has to touch everything. And it's, it goes against like how the org is built. And so we, and just if I try to pause you there, when you say like against how the org, like usually you want to say, okay, I have these service teams and they are independent in the way that they can release and test and do all this stuff. But kind of, if I get it right, what you're saying is if you also now burden them with access control, it can get crazy because each one is doing their own way or something like that. Is that right? That's right. And if your business leaders are saying, hey, look, we got to get kind of another layer of fine grain access control, like one layer down, you know, we, you know, kind of like have access control at the level of tenants. Now we have it at the level of projects or teams or things like that inside of the application that touches everything. And so you need to create a new crew that touches like everything across the board, which is not typically how organizations are built. And so the interesting thing to see is now that there's a set of vendors that have encountered that problem. You got Google, you got Airbnb, you got Carta, you got Netflix. You have a bunch of these folks, the (laughs) big ones that have written about it and have said, hey, there's this new pattern in town called like, let's go take our authorization and extract it out of each of these microservices and create a separate thing that is purpose built around authorization so that we have a team that's dedicated to that And no one has to go rebuild this at the level of these microservices. And they've also, there's a set of patterns that we've noticed that each one of them, you know, they may build it differently, but they all have the same architectural principles. And that's really interesting to observe. So that's what we call cloud native authorization, basically kind of following a set of patterns. And I'm happy to kind of dive into those if you want to. Before we dive into that, you think of Netflix as have like one of the the coolest engineering teams on the planet, right? So it's like... Netflix is writing about this and where are they saying, because we hear like platform engineering, this platform engineering, like movement that's happening and these platform engineering teams that are being built at more of the progressive companies where their main goal is to reduce toil, like developer toil. Where are you seeing the like access control being owned? Is it by these like platform and infrastructure teams or what, what have you seen? It's, it's actually really early in this process. So yeah. when you talk about platform engineering teams, and there's new terms for things that have existed for a while. Uh, back at Puppet, we used to call this our SRE team, but really they were a platform engineering team. They yeah. obviously operate these days uh, infrastructure platforms that the org deploys into, and that's more often than not Kubernetes. CICD, absolutely within their purview. So you don't want each team to have to go pick their own CI system 
you tend to have kind of like the delivery pipelines, you know, are built by and owned by the platform engineering team. And then I would say observability is also something that's definitely been another horizontal layer. But beyond that, it's actually very variable. So at the kind of large technology organizations, they clearly have things like identity and access that are also horizontal concerns. But we're just at the very beginning of that. Like most organizations, if they have an identity and access team, it's mostly on the reactive side. You know, it's not, you know, they're basically trying to figure out things like, you know, kind of baseline security issues and things like that, as opposed to uh, building the assets for their organization to be able to not have to reinvent authorization. Identity is one of those things that kind of is naturally delivered as a service. And so a lot of these organizations, they may make a bet on something like an Okta or an Auth0 or a OneLogin or something like that. You know, So they don't have to build a lot of infrastructure around it. All they have to do is just create kind of like the organizational mandate. If you want to do login, you need to use this, right? But access control is something that they will need to get into. And we're just at the like first inning of this game right now. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay, I had cut you off. You wanted to start diving in somewhere. Yeah, Yeah, feel free to go. Sure, like if you think about what is cloud-native authorization, you know, cloud-native is such an amorphous term. You know, it's basically kind of applying a lot of the lessons that we learned around zero trust and things like that, but on the developer side. Developers generally don't like security, don't want to know about security, but they kind of have to know about security now because they used to be protected by kind of like the perimeter Right. So, you know, a lot of the security like burden was on the perimeter and now it's shifted to the application itself. But the application developers haven't really kept up. And so, you know, just some of the things that are really important for security and for the business principle of least privilege. Uh, right. So the idea that you want to limit the set of entitlements or rights or permissions that you give to users to just the smallest set that they need in order to get their job done. That goes against this idea, old school idea, anti-pattern now of these coarse-grained roles and permissions. Nobody wants an admin these days for everything in the application. They want admins for different pieces of the application. They want to be able to, you know, kind of like, uh, rather than assign a permission to read documents, what does that mean? Read all the documents? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. You want to be able to set specific permissions on specific documents or folders or things like that. So that's uh, you know fine-grained access control. Uh, that's a core pattern that we see all these authorization systems enabling. Another one is this idea of separation of duties, lifting this uh, authorization policy out of the application and storing and versioning it in its own textual DSL, uh, its own authorization language. We call that policy as code. And the kind of the front runner project for that these days is the open policy agent. So it has a language called Rego. And if you do that, you can actually basically have the authorization surface area be kind of controlled by a security team. And they can reason about all the different authorization logic across all your microservices. So that's a huge plus. Another pattern is what we call real-time authorization. So rather than relying on two scopes that are baked into access tokens and using those for permission, you basically make a call to an authorization service with the user context and the resource context and the permission and ask the question, is this user, does this user have this permission on this resource in real time? And that's a much more secure practice. Another one is gathering decision logs 
uh, for every decision that the application makes, right? Because these days, the reality is it's not a question of if you have a breach, it's a question of when. And it's not enough to know like all the times that people logged into your app. You really want to know every decision that the application made so that you can kind of figure out the blast radius of what a compromised identity actually did. So we call that fine-grained decision logs. Those are some of the patterns that we've seen that we call cloud-native authorization. So let's say that there's like two types of listeners on the pod. There's the startup VP. I got Series B funding, Series C. I'm in a growth mode. Another type of leader is like, I'm already at like an established enterprise and I need to do like a transformation. If I'm the startup style, I'm like Series B and I'm getting funding and I kind of have an opportunity to start, not from scratch, but do it right the first time. Like, what should I be thinking about? Like, how do I get myself into like a good situation where I, where this uh, access stuff doesn't spin out of control? Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is don't succumb to the, well, how hard could it be kind of issue, right? Uh, When you first start building an application, obviously you need login and most people say, well, you know, I need an admin and a user. And so that'll be a bit in the user database. That's all I need for access control. It's one of those problems that's misleadingly hard to evolve. And so I would say get it right from the beginning. And getting it right basically means understanding what patterns exist out there, reading some of the literature on how some of the larger technology organizations solve them. I already talked about some of these patterns like building separate authorization service, the principle of least privilege and fine-grained access control. Uh, All of those things, I think, are important patterns. There are two, I would say, centers of gravity in the authorization world these days. Uh, One pattern is around open policy agent, and another pattern is around basically uh, the, the work that Google's did in their Zanzibar system. So Zanzibar is Google's authorization system that they use for docs and for maps and for drive and calendar and cloud and a bunch of other things. So even Google had to go do this, right? Yeah. And if you uh, read the paper, they have a access control model called uh, relationship-based access control. So like understanding some of these things in advance, I think is important. And understanding also that there's now open source that really allows you to get ahead of the game And know that if you start building with the right set of tools, you'll be able to extend, you know, a simple model into a more involved model over time. So you don't have to accrue all this debt. You can actually start with a flexible framework uh, that starts simple, but then, you know, grows with you. That's cool. Let's dive into the open source side of things. I think I have a, a quote from you here. You said people who build software for devs have hubris. What is that all about? And then let's talk some open source stuff that's going on in in the authorization area. I I can't remember exactly where that quote was from, but I feel like a lot of us developers that build software for developers, we it's basically a blessing and a curse, right? Because on the one hand, we have good intuition on who the customer is. And chances are, if we don't like you know, if you, we don't like it, no other dev is going to like it. Sometimes the opposite is not true, though. If we like it, it doesn't mean that other devs are going to like it. And so there's no substitute to like actual feedback from your target customer base or target user. Uh, and so, you know, when you're building software for engineers and you're an engineer yourself, 
you can kind of get high off your own supply, right? Like you could really lose touch with what's important. Uh, and I think wearing your product manager hat is super important when you're doing, when you're a startup founder that's uh, building software for developers. Otherwise, you could get in the weeds and build stuff that, you know, ultimately doesn't really solve the right set of problems. Yeah, totally get it. As we think about, you know, like kind of continuing from what we were saying a bit ago about, okay, I'm starting on like my authorization journey. And you're saying there's, I can start with open source. I don't, usually it means I can start for free, but I don't know if that's actually true here. But what's going on in the open source world with authorization and maybe like a way that my engineering team could get started? Yeah, so like I said, there are two centers of gravity today in cloud native authorization. One that's uh, kind of building around the open policy agent. Uh, It's a CNCF project. Uh, so, you know, sister project to Kubernetes, mostly used today in the infrastructure setting. So Kubernetes admission control and checking configuration files against policy and things like that. But people are starting to try to use it for what I call application or API authorization. The pluses of OPA is that it's a fairly mature project. It's been a graduated project for almost two years now. So it's got you know, a fair amount of adoption and it's a general purpose decision engine. So you can do a lot with it. It's very flexible. That's also the minus because OPA has no opinions. And so you're kind of largely left to design your authorization model on your own. And even though it's a great match for an attribute-based access control type of policy, you really have to design your model from scratch. So it's like building an assembler language. And the language Rego is a logic language. It's inspired by Datalog. Uh, and you know, it's kind of a little bit of a learning curve if you've never come from that world from prolog or those types of logic languages. So overall, I'd say that those would be the pluses and the minuses. There's also a lot to build around OPA when it comes to the sheer amount of data that you're going to use for authorization. Because if you think about Kubernetes admission control, there's a policy and there's a little bit of data. What is, you know, what are the users in the system and what roles do they have or what have you? But if you think about an app that has tens or hundreds of thousands of users, that's a lot of data and that data changes quickly. Their entitlement changes quickly. The policy may change slowly. So there's the problem of how do you bring all this data to the engine? And that's something that the open source OPA project doesn't solve on its own. So there are pluses and minuses. And then on the other side, on the Zanzibar side, there isn't really an open source project. Google didn't open source anything. You know, there's like 10. Right. So there are a bunch of different companies that are trying to build the open source implementation of Zanzibar and they they have good efforts there. You know, it's a little bit hard to kind of sift through that landscape because they don't really have a common schema language, you know, or common data language. So it's a really early ecosystem. And at the risk of kind of plugging a little bit of what we're doing here. No, and um, absolutely. I Because my next question was going to be like, okay, who should look into a CERTO? You know, what size yeah. company? When should you start? Yeah. So go so, for it. Yeah. We just launched an open source project called Topaz. And Topaz okay. uses OPA as its decision engine. So you can build policies that are as expressive as anything that OPA can uh, provide. But it has opinions, right? So it comes with uh, a Zanzibar-inspired directory that allows you to relate subjects, which are users or groups, to objects, which are things like tenants or teams or projects or items or lists. And so you can basically have the best of both worlds. Your policy can use our intrinsics, our built-ins, 
to easily find out whether this user has this permission on this object uh, or this user has this role and this tenant or things like that without having to go build a whole bunch of rego code, OPA code. Uh, and so it kind of combines the best of these worlds, the Zanzibar world and the OPA world. So that's Topaz. It's uh, that's cool. GitHub. It's on GitHub. You can start uh, open source. So github.com slash asserto dash dev slash Topaz. It's got a community around it. It's got a little microsite for getting started and all that stuff. And if you like it, we'd appreciate, you know, joining a community and, and starring it. And uh, it's a great place to get started. And of course, we have a commercial product that kind of adds a control plane on top of the open source that you can just run. That's really cool. I definitely like in, encourage everyone to get started with or check out Topaz if you're starting to think about this authorization stuff. And Omri, just wanted to kind of a- ask you one one more question here. Do you feel like does the size of the company matter or where you are in your authorization life cycle? Is it just for if you're, again, like a Series B founded startup? Okay, I got to really like start thinking about this. Is that like the typical user that's going to use like start with Topaz and go forward? Or what if I'm like a, at a really big company and we need like a transformation? around authorization? Yeah. Like, how do you think about it? We actually see both sides. So we see B2B SaaS companies that, you know, at all stages, uh, some of them, to be honest, uh, a lot of them just don't know about the pattern yet. Uh, and I think over time, more and more people are going to shift left on authorization and realize that they have to do it earlier and earlier in their life cycle. But right now, I would say the sweet spot is when, you know, you start getting requirements like, find rain access control, custom roles, decision logs, and things like that. You start looking for some solution that will help you with that. But we've definitely gotten a lot of interest from larger companies, from enterprises, and they're just sick of having all their internal apps be building against all these different authorization models. So they want to create what we call an authorization control plane that all their applications can plug into. And so you have these larger companies that basically are saying, uh, we're going to stand up an authorization service based on software like Assertos and all the internal applications kind of like in the same way that they today have to connect to our single sign-on system, they have to manage their entitlements or their permissions in the system as well. And so I think that's going to be just as big of an opportunity in the authorization space going forward where all these organizations... Today, they have N employees and N applications, and they have to manage the cross product of those entitlements, right? It's an N times N problem. And it's just, it's intolerable for them to do that. It's just like insane. And that has to be transformed into an N plus N problem, where they have one place to define users and groups, and then they can map those onto roles and permissions from a wide variety of applications. And that's what we think the future is going to be. And the future is going to take a little time to get there, you know, but we feel like we're in the first inning of nine innings, you know, going after the space. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's like a highly complex situation. And I thought that was going to be my last question, but my actual potential last question here is if I'm an engineer and I can kind of see that we're having authorization problems and we don't have a control plane or I can see the future. I listen to this pod. I see the future a little bit. Oh, we should get our shit together around this before it causes a ton of technical debt. But I need to go and maybe convince a VP of engineering or a CTO or like, hey, this should be top of mind. And like, here's where the world's going with this. 
Is there any like resources that we can attach to this pod or like something that they could read and kind of show to present like, this is where the industry is going. This is why it's such a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've written quite a bit about it. You know, some of what we've written has shown up at places like the New Stack or Container Journal or things like that. But, you know, I have a piece that, you know, like I wanted to call design authorization right from the start or spend years regretting it later kind of thing, right? So happy to send you links to that. And, you know, I totally agree with you that typically it's developers, you know, will be your champion when it comes to software like, you know, like that's built for engineers. But the decision maker is often going to be the VP of engineering or CTO. And so you have to have organizational support for this notion that, you know what, like we have customer requirements and we have a bunch of debt that we've accrued. This is a one-two punch. Let's go address this thing with a proper approach to authorization. And once people do that, they don't regret it. They never go back. Awesome. So yeah, we'll definitely get those resources from you and include them in the pod links. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to bring up or any kind of final thoughts? Yeah, I'd say the, you know, kind of just to reiterate in my time as a guy who's been around engineering teams for a long time, one of the biggest things I've learned is engineering teams tend to go build a lot of stuff. And some of that stuff makes your beer taste better. You know, it's your secret sauce, but a lot of it doesn't. And some of the most important thing, things that we as engineering leaders can do is help the team understand which is which, right? For probably a very small number of applications, you know, they feel like uh, something like access control or the differentiator. And for those folks should absolutely go build it. But for the vast majority of engineering teams, it's just the tax. You have to go build it. You have to go maintain it. You know, if you're in that situation, whether it's a CERTA or anything else, I definitely encourage you to go look at what's out there and go check us out as well. www.assorter.com. Awesome. Well, Omri, thanks so much for coming on Dev Interrupted today and getting us caught up knowledge-wise on the future of authorization. It's been great having you on the show. Likewise, a pleasure to be here.